Amen. So uh, last time I was here, they, uh, I moved everything around. So they told me that, hey, we heard you were preaching. So we went ahead and took the podium and put it down. I was like, I feel bad. Now I'm making you guys work extra. So, uh, but uh, thank you, ushers. I love you guys. That's how I know, uh, that's how I know you guys are thinking about me because they were already prepped. They even told me, hey, the chair's in the corner for you. So I got the chair too. So they know, they know. All right. Um, so I'll be reading from James chapter 1. Um, so, oh, yes, the kids, the kids. I'm sorry, guys. I wanted you to hear me because, like, you guys are, like, half the church, you know? Look at it. Like, they, they went half the church. So, but they're in good hands, everybody. I promise. I promise. Um, so I'll be reading from James chapter 1. Um, so while you guys look for that, um, I want to kind of give you guys a little summary or kind of like an intro what we'll be talking about today. I do have a gift for you guys. It is the season of giving, right? It is a 20-minute preaching. <laughs> but it comes with a stocking stuffer. And inside that stocking stuffer, when you look, you'll find a 10-minute intro and a 10-minute outro. So, happy holidays. <laughs> um, so, when I was uh, given the task of preaching on joy, um, the Bible says a lot about joy. I want you guys to know that. Um, and you'll, even if you just Google search it, like, you know, what is joy? You'll, you will have an endless like deep dive into the word joy and what people think it means and all this stuff. And I have my own ideas. I had, I had this, this, in this preaching more or less prepped at the beginning of the week, and I had to sit down with, with Bishop so we can run some things through, and he can help me out. And, like, it, it, it's so amazing to me how everyone, different cultures, different societies have its own perspective on joy. What's even more amazing is how when we as Christians, when we as a church come to search the scriptures, we're coming with our own definition of what joy is, and we seem to sort of just push that into the scriptures and then pull that out. So when Christ is talking about joy, when James is talking about joy, we have that definition back here. So we think we understand where James is coming from instead of removing our definition and letting the scriptures tell us what joy is. Um, so that was a real wonderful exercise and humbling uh, thing for me. Um, I can tell you I came out of my preparation for this with a much greater understanding of what joy is. Um, so with that, if you guys can stand with me, we'll be reading from James chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 2. You guys ready? All right. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You may be seated. All right. So I, know, I don't know what your guys' regular reading is like, what your regular scripture reading is like, but maybe, maybe you have a hard time diving deep into the word. Um, I'll tell you what, if there's anything you can do for me, even if you don't hear this preaching at all, 
even if you, you're falling asleep on me, if you had a long night, whatever it may be, I want you guys to read James chapter 1, verses 2, verse 2, every day. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And just read that every day until, like, that's what you, that's what you think. It's in your head. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Like, you have no, you have no choice but to remember that. And that, that's something, I, you know, I can't force you guys to, to read the scriptures. I can't force you to do a, a deep study on James chapter 1 to truly unpack what that verse is actually saying. But read that verse every day. Give it a shot. Even if, you, you know. Maybe that'll help build that habit of, of diving deep into your scriptures. But read one verse every day for me. Um, it will do you some, some great good. Um, the reason why I, have you guys, I had you guys read just that and, 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 and only that this morning is because everything I talk about today is going to be circling around that. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That is generally the exact opposite emotion, feeling, uh, sentiment that you have when you fall in general. Forget the trial, just falling. You trip and fall, the last thing you're thinking of is joy. You're thinking of, yo, I hope my reflexes kick in so my face doesn't hit the pavement, right? (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) But... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So the first thing that James is saying is, yo, you've fallen into something, count it all joy. Count it all joy. So the candle of joy is also known as the shepherd's candle. And I want to read to you guys the story of the shepherd's. I know, I know we've read it here and we've talked about it. But I want to read it one more time. Um, So that's Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. I'm not going to wait for you to get there, but if you want to go ahead and, uh, you know, get there, that'd be great. Um, But they'll also have it up there as well. So it reads, um, it reads, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you in this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told, to, told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen 
as it was told them. And you guys have heard this story multiple times. I've heard it multiple times. But there's something interesting outside of the fact that, you know, angels popped out of the sky um, and, and, and scared, scared them. Because uh, that's crazy. I, I, I always, every time I read that, I always think of, like, there was a moment. Um, I remember uh, when Joanne and I, after we got married, we started living together. She screamed, like, really loud. Like, this loud scream, ear piercing, and... It was a cockroach, right? And I, I squashed that bug. That bug no longer exists because um, it scared her. But then, you know, fast forward a bit, she did that same ear-piercing scream, and I'm, I'm running across the house. What happened? What happened? What happened? You know, I'm like, you think it's the, the worst thing happened. I'm thinking another cockroach. She goes, they accepted me. I got the job. I'm so happy. And I'm like, why are you screaming like this? This is so unnecessary. My heart broke three seconds ago because I thought you were being attacked by a cockroach. That, that is what I feel is going on with the shepherds. These huge angels, and they're like, oh, my goodness, we are going to hell. God sent these angels because I, I left that one sheep out there. And he was like, whoa, 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 hold on. No, no, we're here to tell you about good news. But what's really interesting about what the shepherds do is they hear this news and they're like, yo, let's go check this out. And y'all all do this with a Netflix special or whatever you're subscribed to, Paramount Plus, whatever it is. Someone tells you about this one good show, you're like, yo, let's go check this out. And I don't know if you guys are into like... Uh, Soap operas, soap boxes, or novellas, or whatever it may be. The same thing. When you find that good novella, right, like all the people in, 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 in my family know about this one novella. I don't watch them, but I know. I can tell you the whole thing because they always tell me about it. And what's funny is there's <laughs> Joanna's, Joanna's aunt. She will sit down, and she will tell me about this. And I think she's telling me about what's going on, all this drama, but she doesn't tell me it's coming from a television series. Right? So I'm, I'm thinking, because she's from, she's from DR. Um, so I'm thinking she's telling me about something that happened in her pueblo, like something that happened in her little place. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't ever want to live where you live. All that drama? And she goes, yeah, but I'm still waiting for the next episode. I'm like, this was a show? I, I guess I was like, I was so invested into this. It almost makes me want to go actually check out the show. Maybe I can actually get into these things. But when someone tells you something that's so, like, amazing or so emotion-grabbing or so interesting, your first response is, let's go check it out. But more so than that, it was that person's delivery, right? It's not like these angels popped out of the sky and it was like this tiny little angel. It's like, yo, by the way, Jesus was just born. Go check it out. If it, if it came like that, they probably would have been like, did you see that? Nothing would have happened. No, they came in, and it was huge. It was loud. It was big. It encompassed the entire sky. You probably couldn't see a star out there until the angels left, and they're like, oh, there it is. There's the star they were talking about. It was the delivery. The angels were so excited 
about the promise of God being fulfilled. That it got the shepherds excited. That they took a journey. And I don't know if you guys know about farm animals. When you're herding them, you don't just leave them. Because they will go do what they want. I don't know if everyone's seen, like, cowboys herding cows. But it is a lot of work. You got, like, six, depending on how big the herd is, you got, like, six guys on horses, three dogs, all trying to navigate a bunch of cows and trying to get them through these narrow fields and all this. It's a lot of work. And when you're herding sheep, and all of a sudden you're like, we got to go. How many of y'all would leave your job for Jesus? How many of y'all would take a job for Jesus? That's what they did. They left their job for Jesus. It's not that they didn't recognize what their responsibilities were. They, also, they just recognized this is something that needs to be seen because now this responsibility that has been shown to me is much greater than the one I think I have. And it got contagious, right? They went. They saw what happened. They were like, this is real. And what did they do? They left glory, glorifying, praising God and telling everybody. Meanwhile, Mary pondered that. Now, I'm, I'm not going to dive into that, but there's sometimes, and, and what I will say about that, there are sometimes where we will hear or experience such great news that we have to sit down and think about the amazing glory of God. And how many times do we do that in our life? How many times does something so amazing happen? We're like, wow, praise God, I'm going to just keep moving. That was great. God provided, I'm just going to keep moving. No, but do you really sit down and think, man, it wasn't just this tiny little blip of events that happened that made this thing happen in my life, that this event happened in life that helped me overcome this. No, I look back to the beginning where I was born, I was cared for, and then all that trickles into that one moment. And then that one moment that you just had is going to trickle into another moment in the future. Do you think about how God orchestrated all of that? I think trying to be in Mary's shoes, all these things are going, going on. And I'm like, I, if I was her, I'd do the same thing. Like, what is going on? God truly is amazing. Now, there are other opinions what Mary was thinking about. But that's just one take on it. But what was your response for my brethren and for my sisters? What was your response when you came to Jesus? Let me put it another way. What was your response when you realized Jesus was always there? And that you were so full of sin, so egotistical, so selfish, that you needed a Savior. If your response was one of repentance, that's awesome. What was that followed up by? Bishop has been talking about really trying to become that disciple-making church. Were you so impacted by your meeting of Jesus that you could not hold it back? You had to tell people. Or maybe you repented and you were like, I still have to feel some things out. Like, I felt something, but, like, I've still got to 
see if this is something I want to do. Your response is key. And that pulpit over there says it like on the front. It says, truth requires a response. I love that phrase so much. I, I wish I could say that. I was the one that came up with that. I actually don't know who came up with that, um, but they're geniuses. Um, there he is. <laughs> Bishop's a genius. But it, it's so true because it, it, it requires a response, and it, it, there's no bias in that, in that because it's not saying it requires a good response. It requires a response in general. You don't have a choice. The minute you hear the truth, however it is that you're going to act to it, that is your response to it. Whether you take it for what it is, whether you let that impact your life, whether you think it's a bunch of lies, what, no matter what it is, it requires a response to that truth. And that response is followed up by actions. Whether you like it or not, it is going to happen. Whether you planned it or not, it is followed up by your actions, by the way you approach it. So when you came to Jesus, was it truly life transforming? Now, I, I had a pretty, like, rapid change in my life when I came to Jesus. Some people have a gradual change. It is. I'm not saying if you came to Jesus and it wasn't like this, I got to go tell everybody, you're, you're not you're not a Christian. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is Jesus' is life changed. And your life should have changed. And if you look back and there are some things that haven't changed, there are some things that need to get worked on. And, and here's why I bring that up. Because joy, my brethren, my sisters, to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, you have to know what joy is. And what's one thing that we know about God? He's the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. And when I was talking to Bishop about this, he sent me like a definition, and, and there was one thing that it said that some cultures, some languages actually don't have a word for joy, and they express it with idioms. They express it with like a phrase. And one that was in there says, my heart dances. And you only dance when you got a good beat. <laughs> and you only dance with the right move to the right song. Like, you don't go dancing salsa to techno. Sometimes it just doesn't work out, right? Like, yeah, those are some good moves. And that's a good beat. But, mm, you know... It's not like mango and habanero. Those go good together. Salsa and techno, like, ah, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of tough. My heart dances. I, I could not get over that phrase because before Christ, I love, I love my old school rap. Uh, and I'm not telling you guys that, you know, I still, I, I really, I actually, I don't listen to these guys at all anymore. But um, I loved my Tupac. I loved my Biggie. I loved all my underground rappers. Yo, they spoke to me. They spoke to my heart. Things that were going on in my life, man, I would listen to these guys, and I felt like, they were talking to me in these, in these songs. It changed the way I approached people. It changed the type of people I hung out with. My heart danced to that music. 
it made sense to me. It became, it's the reason why I'm wearing Tim's, these weird jeans and like this, like I, I look almost ghetto, right? It, I didn't do this on purpose, by the way. I just woke up and put this on. It's not like I planned this whole thing. But um, it, it, it changed the way I talk. It, it, it changed the types of words that I use, the phrases that I use. It, it, it changed everything. It formed my character. What does your heart dance to? And after Christ, I had a hard time with music because I really thought Christian rap was whack. I still do sometimes. And it was, it was very tough for me because I, I couldn't figure out how my heart should dance. I, I couldn't figure out what type of music. Cause I, I like, I dig praise and worship. Now, the worship team, I just need them all the time. Like, this is my, this is my soundtrack. If I can have them everywhere I go, that, that's all I need right there. But, you know, when I, and I, I, I joke with Hector about this all the time. Every time I listen to Elevation Worship, for those of you that love Elevation Worship, my wife is an Elevation Worship lover, but don't take this the wrong way. But that music to me sounds so floaty. Like, I feel like it's going on, and I feel like I should be in the clouds. Like, it's so peaceful. Every time I hear it, and I just don't click. Like, Elevation Worship music just does not click for me. It just doesn't work. So it took me some time to figure out what my heart should be dancing to. And then I came to the realization before this that the source for my joy should be Jesus. I shouldn't be looking for a beat. I shouldn't be looking for a click. I shouldn't be looking for a group of people that I click with in the church. Like, I want my, his, like, I, this, is, this was my thought. I wanted my Hispanic kind of ghetto church that I can click with where I could be cool with these peeps. I will be honest with you, core faith was not that when I found that. The Hispanic part was there. But, and it was tough. Like, there was some times where, like, yo, I just don't mesh with core faith. It just there's some things and like I was a college guy at the time and like when I when I started joining it was either like at, at core faith there was like little kids, high school kids, and then the, all the all the adults. Like there wasn't like this real big college group. It's much 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 different now. Right? There's a lot more young adults here than there was before. And I almost left because I felt like ain't nobody here for me. I was also single. So I was looking for someone too and I thought yo I gotta find him in the church. I couldn't find him at core faith. So, but that being said, when I, when I came to the realization and I was humbled by the fact that my joy should be coming from Christ, it produced a heart of worship in me. I'm not the type of person that raises my hands in a, in a, in a worship service. I, always, like, I, just, I just, it just feels weird to me. Um, but I'm singing those songs, and I'm a horrible singer, right? And I understand the power of those lyrics, and it, it, I may not be into the beat or the groove all the time, but you better bet those lyrics up there, they don't just play songs because they sound good, which they do. They make them sound good too. But they also play songs up here because the lyrics actually mean something. And when the, the worship team is up here singing them, it's coming from a place of joy because they believe in what they're saying and what they're singing. And I was able to sing those words I feel bad for anyone who, sits, who stands next to me when I'm saying this was really bad. But it, it made a difference in the way I approach worship. 
It made a difference in the way my heart danced. It wasn't reliant on the music I was listening to. It wasn't reliant on the people that were around me. It was reliant on those who considered themselves part of the body of Christ, who despite our cultural backgrounds, our differences, we can have a conversation. Because those things are no longer barriers. It's not that we have a commonality in Christ. It's that we're living together with Christ. So that brings me to my first point. Because I told you it's going to be a 20-minute preaching. It's the outro you guys got to be ready for. My first point is, I got to organize myself here. Joy produces worship. Joy produces worship. If there's anything that you should know is that your joy should be producing worship. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. If you're falling into trials, is your joy producing worship? Are you focused on the fact that God is so great that these trials actually mean nothing? They mean something to produce a character out of you. They are meant to test you, push you, get you to the limit, right? The only reason why you guys, for those of you who've been working a job for a really long time, the only reason why you have those skills is because you put those skills to the test in your workplace. Same thing with working out. The only reason why you can stay in shape and all that stuff is because you're putting your body to the test every single time you're going to the gym. For those of you who are getting your you know, your, your, your degrees or you're going to school in high school, the only reason why you can get the grades you get is because you're putting the work in and you're putting your brain to the test. Count it all joy. In the midst of those trials, is your joy producing worship? If it's not, I guarantee you, it's because it's not sourced from God. So my main idea, I know I messed up the, the, the guys back there because I went to my first point and then I went to uh, my main idea, is this. Um, biblical joy does not come from human physiology or psychology. Instead, it is sourced from the promise-keeping God. And here's why it, it, your joy can be founded, it can be sourced, it can be anchored on Christ, on God. Because he has never failed, right? We talk about the coming of Jesus, and I'll also get to this point and why it's important. But we talk about the, the, the coming of Jesus, and there are Christians who's like, yo, Jesus needs to come tomorrow. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I want Jesus to come back right now. I can't wait. Yo, can Put your guys' shoes, put, put, put your guys' in the shoes or the sandals or whatever. Maybe they were barefoot. Of the Israelites, when they were in Egypt, they had the same promise of Jesus coming. And Jesus didn't come for a long time after that. But I bet you they were like, Jesus, well, they didn't know his name was going to be Jesus, right? But where's the Messiah at? Because we're slaves right now in Egypt, and we need to get out of here, right? Every time, every time. Israel was in a place where they felt like they were getting oppressed. When they were ousted all over the place in Babylon and in Persia and all over the place, I bet you every single time, when is the Messiah going to come and fix all of this? And then what happened? He showed up, and they missed it. 
we here doing the same thing. When is the Messiah going to come back? Because Jesus shot up into the air. He said, the same way I go up is the same way I come back down. And we stuck looking at the sky. And what did the angels say after, you know, when, the, when they were up there looking? Why are you guys looking at the sky? He's going to come down the same way. You know that. You have the promise. Get to work. And you shouldn't be upset that you have to get to work. You shouldn't be upset that the work's going to be hard. Because you have the joy that you know that the God who fulfilled the promises in the Old Testament is going to fulfill the ones he just made. And it's tough, man, because when someone like, you know, you're like, hey, I need prayer, and you tell someone about this really intense situation that's going on in your life or the work or whatever it is, and they say, you just need to trust in God. Everything's going to be okay. Man, that phrase bothers me. Everything's going to be okay because God is an awesome God. Yo, but everything is not okay right now. I want it to get fixed. Messiah, come right now. Fix it. And we're so focused on, God, when are you going to come? God, what are you going to do? God, I don't have the money to pay rent. When is the money going to come in? Because I've heard these stories about magical money showing up in people's banks, bank accounts to pay the rent when they needed it, and they were Christian. So I'm a Christian, and I need the money, and I, I think, the, you know, when is the money going to show up too like it did for them, and it doesn't show up? Something we see in, in James, if you guys, besides, if you guys, if you guys, if all you're gonna do is read the read read verse two, great. But if you feel inspired, read the whole thing. But something you see, verse three, it says, "Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience." Then you could jump to verse five. It says, "If you lack any wisdom, let him ask." But let him ask in what? In faith, with no doubting. And then at the very end, it says, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, if he is asking not in faith. For he is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. He starts off with, count it all joy. Then he says, that testing of faith of your faith, produces patience. And if you lack wisdom, you can ask. So we see joy, faith, patience, and wisdom. All there coupled together. If you're losing your joy, I will tell you right now, you may not be asking God what you need to ask him in faith. And that's hard to hear, that's hard to hear for me. Right, because you're stuck in the middle of an intense, really intense situation, and you need God to come right now. And you say, God, please come fix this. But are you worshiping? Because if your joy is not producing worship, then I tell you what, the testing of your faith right now is not producing patience. And if you're not being patient, maybe you may not be humble enough to ask God, wisdom, what you should do in that situation. Maybe you got to take the L. I don't know. But worship should be produced by your joy. Because if not, your faith. This is going to teeter-totter. That's it. You're going to be going back and forth. And it'll, life, yo, life is not fair. Life sucks. Like, it just sucks. We messed up. 
way in the garden. And yes, we messed up way in the garden, right? We, we mess up right now. Life just sucks, man. And it's going to drag you through the mud. It's going to drag you through asphalt. It's going to drag you through everything. And when you feel like things are going good and you're speeding up, you're going 90 miles an hour, you'll trip. And that hurts too. Life is going to take you places, right? And if your faith, if your joy is not producing worship, what's going to happen is when you trip, you'll stay in the ground. You'll stay in the mud. You'll let, you don't, you, you don't just drag you. You'll just sit right there and you'll rot. And you'll blame things you didn't think you'd blame. You'll blame people you didn't think you'd blame. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose relationships because you're so stuck on you. Now, for those of you who are, don't have a faith in Christ just yet, it's different for you, right? I'm speaking directly to my Christian brothers and sisters, and I'm telling my Christian brothers and sisters to anchor your joy on the promise of God because he won't fail you. Life will fail you. Your job will fail you. Tell you what, I may fail you, but you're not trusting in me. You're not trusting in Bishop. You're trusting in the God that Bishop declares. So if the leadership messes up, that's okay because you are founded on Christ. Your joy is going to produce worship because of Christ. For those of you who don't have that relationship, I want to tell you, That life sucks for you too the same way it sucks for us. We go through the same thing you do. When it rains, it pours, and it doesn't just pour outside the church. It pours on the church. Sometimes the roof gets a hole in it because the tree fell down, right? And it rains all up inside here too. And it will change your whole perspective on things. But I'll tell you what, man, if you're going through the thick of it and you don't know who Jesus is, I'll tell you what, you still got to go through the thick of it, but you got a God who's going to pull you out. So I'm going to jump ahead. You guys don't have to come here. I'm going to jump ahead to John 16. I want to uh, read something to you guys. I thought this was interesting when I was coming across this. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. This one hit me hard because I recently experienced this. When a woman, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. And in the same way that James says it, James was really just taking this from Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. And you ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. 
I don't know if anyone has ever been in the delivery room when a woman is giving birth. My goodness. There are 10,000 things going on all at once nowadays with all the modern tech. Ladies, God bless you. And for those of you who are like, I'm going to go natural. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it no, all natural. No epi, no anything. I'm just like, God bless you, man. That's just, I don't know how y'all do that. I remember I like, the kids are gone so I can say this. But I remember when the, the, the doctors told me, yeah, so, um, with the, you know, I will really talking to Joanna. I was just there. Um, so we're going to wait, and this is what's going to happen. They explain the whole thing when you're going through the classes, and, you know, you'll be 10 centimeters dilated. And I was like, oh, okay, 10 centimeters. And I pulled out a, you know, pulled out a little ruler, and I was like, whoo, that's big. That's, that's, that's a lot. And then I remember when, 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 when Joanna started, you know, her whole labor process, yo, I, I, I had no idea where that stuff was coming from. She was just in pain, in pain, in pain, in pain the whole way up until the little dude came out. And she was like, oh, let me see him, let me see him. I was like, you were just, you just popped this. Are you like, did, you, did you not see what I see? You had the mirror. And I'm over here freaking out. Like, what is going on? And then she's all happy. She got the little one. And then the doctor grabs the baby and says, looks at me and says, hold him while they, you know, they do all the stuff they needed to do to Joanna. And I'm holding this thing. And I'm just like, <laughs> y'all, <laughs> y'all, y'all probably say like, y'all, I can't believe you just called your son a thing. But. In, in the moment, I had no idea what that thing was because he was covered in all this stuff, all right? I couldn't really see. So I'm just like, in that moment, the past 10 months, I forgot about them. More impressive is Joanna wasn't screaming out of pain. She was holding him, and she was happy. She was crying. She was, and I'm over here like, My life just changed. Forever, yeah. So, gentlemen, you will never experience that pain. But if you can see and know that a woman can go through such intense and immense pain, yet still be glad, Gentlemen, we have no excuse. There's a reason why God called us to be the leaders of the household the way we should be. Are you really going to let things drag you down? Because let me tell you what happens. Fathers, dads, husbands, when you get dragged down, you're dragging them down with you. And that's that's a lot of weight on your shoulders. Don't get me wrong. My wife, she's awesome. She props me up, man. Like, she does. When I, when I, when I feel like I'm getting dragged, she props me up. She keeps me accountable. She makes sure that I'm, 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 I'm staying right and staying true. But if they can go through that, guys, we should be able to handle anything that comes our way. At minimum. <laughs> I think it's so crucial that Christ pointed that out. Because when we're in the thick of life, do we not remember that joy replaces sorrow? 
Do we not remember that our depression, that our anxieties, they're just temporal. And that's tough to say. Sometimes we get so focused and so depressed. No matter what it may be, the loss of life, a broken relationship. Sometimes we get so caught up in that. So it's tough to call it temporal because you feel like those emotions rule your life. But joy should replace that. Which is my second point. Joy replaces sorrow. I think it's, it's crazy that at the end of that whole thing, Jesus is like, Ask whatever you want of the Father in my name, and he will give you. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. I don't know if you guys know, but your joy is only going to be full when it's founded, when it's anchored, when it's sourced from Christ. Ask, and you will receive. And this is something I thought was interesting. What we see in James We see this in Philippians. We see this here in John chapter 16. Anytime they're asking or anytime they're telling or mentioning about asking God anything, joy is always in the midst. Somewhere in the context of those verses, joy is mentioned. It's almost as if a requirement before you ask God anything is that you understand what joy is. That's tough because if your joy is supposed to be anchored on God, but I'm coming to him because my my joy is going to be anchored on the fixing of this situation, you may not get the answer. Because if if I'm stuck in the thick of something and I just want God to come and fix it, then my joy is on the fact that this, if this is fixed, I will be good. But now if I'm coming to God and I'm saying, hey, I know all this stuff is going on. But God, you don't ever change. I love you no matter what. Whether you fix what's going on right now or not, it will not change the fact that I still love you, God, because you have never failed me. This world fails me, and that is what ends up happening. The world will rejoice anytime we lose our joy. And not our feeling of joy, what makes us happy, our feeling of joy that's founded in Christ, the world will rejoice. It literally does the exact opposite. And the reason why I I, I bring something like this up is because people always look for a release. That's my son. He's looking for his joy. <laughs> but people will always look for a release. I, I don't know if anybody in here knows someone that actually that cuts, that bleeds, and they, they find that as a release. Has anyone really ever dived into the psychology of why somebody would do that? Or maybe just ask them why. Is everything okay? Because to be honest, some people find joy in the pain, because it's more real than anything they may have ever experienced. What about people who suffer from anxiety? 
the things they turn to. That is more real for them than anything they've ever experienced. Because they don't know where to source their joy from. And the only way they can think of replacing their sorrow is with something else. Whether it's cutting, whether it's hurting somebody, whether it's abusing somebody, whether it's abusing themselves. Sometimes it takes them all, to, all the way to the point of thinking about suicide. Because that's the only release that they think they can have, is ending it all. And what we don't realize as Christians is that not that we have a release that we can turn to in God. It's that we have been released already. We have been unshackled from these things that bring us down in the world. It's why the world rejoices when we fail. Because we preach that Jesus is the answer to all your problems. So when we're suffering as a church or when we mess up, you better bet the world is there ready to say, I knew it. I'm just going to go back to what I was doing before. Our joy should should be replacing our sorrow because if not, we'll get so wallowed up into it. And our life will change forever. My third point, joy is for all. It's for everyone. And this is a beautiful point. Because and this, this was very, very tough for the, 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 the first 12, the first century church to sometimes wrap around their heads. Because, you know, they thought Christ came for us. Christ came for the Jews. Christ came for Israel. But in the Old Testament, Isaiah was saying, and this, this is coming from Romans chapter 15. I'm using Paul's paraphrase. Well, not paraphrase. I'm using Paul's quotes here. But this is Isaiah talking. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he, shall, he, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the hope of God fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are so many times that we as the church forget that we have something special that is meant to be shared. And I've talked about this multiple times. It's a topic we've talked about, in, and I'm not going to talk about, really dive deep into the topic here, but I've done this with the youth a couple of times. We've talked about the topic of abortion. And I always end up coming back to the fact is, how many of you guys are actually thinking about the women who have to make these choices? Yes, I can talk about how the Bible really mentions that life was life before we knew it even existed right? I can go dive deep into all that stuff. But how many of you are saying, yeah, abortion is murder. Therefore, these are all murderers. That's such an easy label to put on these women. And that's so messed up. How many of you don't realize that they're looking for a release and they're turning to death? And we forget that we can demonstrate that they can have joy 
in the almighty God who will take care of everything and take care of their child, whether it is that they, they, they made a mistake with someone they shouldn't have been with, they were raped. That's, those are tough choices, man. Because sometimes they feel like they don't have a choice. And we get so focused on the semantics, on the sin, when we don't realize we're not the ones who need to deal with the sin. Christ is the one who needs to deal with the sin. They need to repent, not to us, to Christ. Joy is for them as well. And instead of preaching murder, we should be preaching joy. Because joy belongs to them. Doesn't mean we say, it's okay. We be straight up front. This is not a good thing. But we're not going to leave you hanging. And here's my problem. When this thing came up way back in the day, and it resurfaced again just recently, everyone, everyone, not everyone, but a lot of the church went back to their picket signs, standing outside of clinics, telling these people they're going to hell. How come the church didn't come together as a nation and create a program that says, hey, listen, we care about you. And we care about your baby. We'll help you out. We'll pay for everything. We'll figure this out. Because the way the Bible talks about life, we want that life to exist. Even if you don't want it, we will help you out through the entire process. We'll create all these programs. Church is so good at making programs. When it came to abortion, no program showed up except a picket sign. Where was the church? Outside yelling. And when it came back again, we were outside yelling. Joy is for all. For those of them who are not Christian, who do not know Christ, joy is for them as well. It is not for you to ask them to repent of their sins. That is something that we should mention that they need to do to have a relationship with Christ. And it's extremely important. My last point, I'm like doing, like I'm cutting it close with the 20 minutes and then I got my closing. Point four, joy never ends. It never ends. In Philippians it reads, in chapter four, it reads, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Some people almost broke out into song right there. I know that. Let your, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You see that? There's joy. And what came right after joy? A request. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. Joy never ends. If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and our joy is anchored on the promise-keeping God, then our joy should never end because God never ends. He was there before the beginning. He's going to be there after the end. Our joy never ends. It is an unlimited supply, not of happiness, but of joy. 
no matter how tough it gets. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. You want to figure out how to make sure that your joy is anchored in Christ? Get deep into prayer. Get deep into supplication. And that's a hard habit to build for some people. Because I'll tell you what, sometimes it feels like you're talking to the invisible God. Sometimes people want God to come back like he did in the Old Testament. You don't want God to come back like he did in the Old Testament. The dude opened up the earth and sucked in a whole bunch of people. The dude called fire down from heaven and wiped out nations. I want the God of the Old Testament. No, you don't. He's the the same God. He can still do all that. You want the invisible God. Let me tell you. You know why? Same way y'all vote. I'll put him up there, but then when he messes up, I'm going to talk trash about him or her. I want my invisible God because then when God messes up, I can be like, "Mm, I don't know. The Bible says this and it didn't happen. We want someone we can talk trash about. We want someone we can talk trash to. It's easy. It's easy when somebody messes up. It's easy to like your novelas because somebody always messing up. And you're like, you're so dumb. Why did you do that? I would never do that if I was in your shoes. And then you mess up and everybody be like, I would never do that if I was you. You're not talking to an invisible God. You're not praying to an invisible God. You're praying to the almighty God, the creator of the universe. Some, just put it this way, a God so great, we can't understand what he is doing. It is not for us to sit down and try and fathom and calculate every single method and orchestration that God does. It is us to enjoy being in his presence and praying and doing this in supplication with thanksgiving because in that, we can make our request known to God. You want to make a request of God? Humble yourself and figure out where your joy is. Then ask. How many times, and I was that kid too, Asking mommy and daddy for like five dollars so I can go get something. Like, oh, I just, I just need a little bit of change. I'm trying to get this video game, it's like twenty dollars used, and I got fifteen bucks. Can I get five bucks? I'll cut the grass. I'm making a request because my joy was in the video game. How many times do we come to God making a request because our joy is in something else? Right. Make sure your joy is sourced on God first, then make a request. And that's tough. That's tough because then you feel like, I can't pray. I can't do that because uh, my joy all messed up. But if I tell you what, if your joy all messed up, pray for joy. Start there. Your joy should never end. It should never end, which means your prayers will never end. Your thanksgiving will never end. It only makes sense if we have that joy together. And in this holiday season, 
everything that's been going on, all the craziness, there's always craziness. It's all right if your family does you dirty. It's all right if you're trying to make some food and it burns up, or if you're trying to make cookies and they get burned at the bottom. Whatever it may be, it's all right if you can't get that gift. It's all right if you got no money to get gifts. You have joy, and there's any gift that you should be giving this year, it is that joy, one that is sourced on God and God alone. That's the joy you can be giving. So if you feel like you don't got a gift, there it is. I just gave you your gift. All right, that was the stocking stuffer. Um, I have one question I want to leave you guys with, and that is, what is the source of your joy? So I want you guys, I want you guys to read James chapter 1, verse 2, every day this week if you can, and then ask yourself that question. Every time you're going through something, what are you counting? Are you counting joy? Are you counting your problems?